Thank you, Carrie, for reading the scripture for us today. We're on our fourth journey on our sermon series called The DNA of a Disciple. Uh, for the last three weeks, we talked about different journeys that we travel through from as a disciples. And one of the things I want to remind you is that we don't ever finish traveling through those journeys. We really make the uh, shift from one extreme to another. Uh, we continue to grow in it because we won't be perfect. We won't fully travel all the way through until Jesus returns. Uh, but halfway through this series, I want to give you a little, uh, a little tip, uh, a little inside uh, information. Um, but don't check out, though, from now on for the rest of the series. Because actually, every single one of these journeys, the one, the one thing that moves us from one extreme to the other extreme is really the answer. The answer that moves it, move us through is really the answer of the gospel. The gospel is the one thing that moves us from who we were to who Christ created us to be. The one thing that, that really transforms us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we travel these journeys, what we see really is like a white light being shown through a prism. We're seeing different aspects of the light. We might see the gospel as the white light, but as we, uh, as we walk through these journeys, we see there are different aspects, different uh, characteristics, different things that are highlighted about the gospel. Same gospel, many aspects. We talked about from being an earner to become a, um, a earner, become a, uh, an heir of Christ. We, that, that particular journey highlights to us the mercy of God. We see the merciful gospel that we are worse off than we ever thought, but we're far more loved by God than we can ever imagine. That's mercy of God. That's the first journey. The second journey, we see the aspect of the gospel, of the obedient gospel. That we're not saved and we just kind of hang out, do whatever we want. But the gospel saves us into obedient disciple of Christ. We don't obey Christ to be saved, but we get saved. Now we get to be obedient. We talked about the love language for God to us is that is love and mercy. But our love language to God is what? The obedience. Our obedience is how we love God. Last week, we talked about a journey traveling from isolation to community that, we're, that it highlights the aspect of the gospel, that we're saved into the body of Christ. You can say we're saved into the capital C church, a universal church, but we're also saved into being a part of the local body, little C church here in St. Gabriel Valley. We talked about how it, that, that, that aspect of the gospel shows us that it is far easier to be a part, but we're so much better to be together. So today we're going to take us on a th fourth journey. Today's journey helps us travel from being a consumer to be a producer. Part of what it means for us to be a disciple of Christ, what it means uh, for us to embrace the gospel, put our trust in the gospel, is that we believe that God has moved us, changed us from being a consumer into a producer. A consumer gets and gets and gets, but a producer gives and gives and gives. A consumer is about what can I get from other people, other things to fulfill my kingdom. But a producer of Jesus Christ, use what he or she has and leverage it to bless others. A consumer is all about me, 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 me. But a producer is all about others, about those who are in need, about those who don't know Christ, about those who are in the church, the body of believers. A consumer manipulates so that his needs are met. 
but a producer of Jesus Christ leverages everything, steward everything that God has given him or her so that others may be blessed, so that God's name will be praised. So how does this, tra- how does this journey start from consumer to producer? You see, most of us, if not all of us, live in a consumeristic world. Some people believe that uh, capitalism is really the source of consumerism. I would argue otherwise. Actually, because of sin, we're all consumers. Think about from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve's sin, they were consuming. They were about, I want a knowledge of God to myself. I want it to be able to be like God. They fell into temptation. They are consumer from the very get-go because of sin. So it's not just capitalism produced consumers. I'm sure other places who are being, uh, who have dictators, people there under dictatorship, they want to consume too. The only difference is they don't get to consume because of the dictator. So we are all born by nature, our sinful nature, consumers. A book called Divine Com- uh, Commodity um, had this study that showed that by the age of 10, every child can recognize over 300 logos of products in the world, in America. As on, on average, every American are being bombarded over 3,500 desire-inducing um, advertisement every single day. 3,500 telling us that you need this, you need that. It is almost as if we don't know we have bad breath until Listerine starts selling Listerine. See, we're by nature, our sinful nature, consumers. And many times as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we fall in the same thing of this consumer mentality. Lightway had a study, three out of four people said that they have a good relationship with the people in their own church. The same three people, only less than half of those people said that they actually do anything to contribute to other people's growth. What that means is that less than half of the people that says they have good relationship with one another in the church, less than half of those people actually do something for another person to help them to grow and meet their needs. More than half the people are just taking, 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 taking. And for many of us, that's how we see the gospel, isn't it? We have this understanding of the gospel that, oh, God loves me. Jesus died for me. Jesus built his church for me. My sins are forgiven. The church are here to meet my needs. The church are here to meet my family's need. We grow up in a, in a culture, we grow up in a gospel that is incomplete. Even though we are being saved from being consumer to be producer, which we'll see later, we continue to go back, fall back into consumer. One of the reasons why we do that is because our understanding of the gospel is missing a very important element. As we talk about being consumer to become a producer for, uh, of, of, uh, of a disciple of Christ, we need to understand that the gospel that we put our faith in is not just a gospel of salvation, but it is also the gospel of the kingdom of God. See, there are two sides of the same coin of the gospel. One side of it says our salvation. Yes, Jesus saves us from our sins. That Jesus saves us from our, our, our depravity. But yet we're not only saved from our sins, but we're also saved for the kingdom of God. That we're not only just receiving salvation because we have eternal life, but we're also receiving salvation so that we can display the glory of God. 
We're not only forgiven of our sins, but we are called to advance the kingdom of God. Did you know that the gospel that Jesus preached was not only a gospel of salvation? John the Baptist's first message he proclaimed in, uh, on behalf of Jesus is this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, the first message that he displayed and shared to the crowd was not come so that I can save your sin, but, but he said this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, the kingdom of God was so important to the message of the gospel, the good news, that it was from the very beginning, Genesis to Revelation, Jesus prayed for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus preached a gospel of the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Just read through the, the book of Matthew. You cannot walk away without seeing the word kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. It is in the forefront of Jesus' mind when he talked about the gospel that we're not only saved from our sins, but we've been saved into, saved for the kingdom of God. See, we're not just a part of just getting what we want. Here's perhaps, here is the, here's the, the element of the gospel perhaps you'll be challenged by. You see, the gospel did not save you for just you. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ did not just save you for you, did not save me just for me. The gospel of Jesus Christ saved me for the greater kingdom of God. God is on this journey from the beginning of, uh, of sin into revelation to, re to restore his kingdom. He's bringing goodness into the world. He's bringing holiness into the world. He's changing the world until one day there will be a new kingdom, a perfect kingdom of God to be restored here on earth as it is in heaven. Which is why Revelation says this, that he will create a new earth, a new heaven. God is on this journey to renew what was broken. And while we are saved and get to be a part of it, God also calls us to advance this kingdom here on earth right now. We will be a part of the kingdom in the future, but there is also a kingdom here on earth that needs to be restored. And God is saying, when I save you, that's what you need to be a part of. That's what your life needs to be about. See, when we understand what the gospel, the kingdom of God means to us, it does something amazing in your life and my life. It changes the way we think about ourselves. It changes the way we live our lives. It starts directing. We start having a purpose. No longer I'm saved, so now God, you just do whatever I want. No longer I'm saved because now I'm the king. Now Jesus, you follow me. See, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we've been saved by the kingdom of God. We're declaring, Jesus, you are the king now. So I don't lo no longer, you don't no longer exist for me, but I exist for you. It is not about building my kingdom, but it's building your kingdom, Jesus. We're not living for the temporary, but we're living for the eternal. And most importantly, we're no longer just getting things, consuming things, so that my kingdom will be built here on earth. But we're now leveraging who I am in Christ and what I have through Christ, all for the sake of advancing the kingdom of God so that his glory will fill the earth like water covers the sea. See, when we start living with a kingdom mindset, what happens is you're going to start thinking your life no longer as fulfilling the dream that you have. 
your ambition that you have. You start seeing your life as just a tool to demonstrate God's goodness, God's holiness, God's faithfulness in your life. My family is no longer, how can I provide for my kids so they have a better future so that they will be saved in this world? My family also become a, 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 a farm system to build up disciples of Christ so that they will know Jesus, call Jesus as king. They will be sent out to advance the kingdom of God. See, when you have the kingdom mindset in your mind, in your heart, the gospel is not just a kingdom for you as a consumer, but kingdom as, as a gospel of the kingdom of God. Your education is no, no longer trying to get you a piece of paper that says you graduated from so-and-so college. It's no longer just about the letters behind your name. What it is about now, though, is prepare you to get into a place, a segment of society, perhaps a, a, a people group, so that you can further the kingdom of God, so that you can use your job to bring goodness into the world, so that you can meet the needs of others, so that people can see that your job can make a difference in the world, and, and all because you have a king called Jesus. When you have the kingdom mindset, your job is no longer pay, getting, get, just getting a paycheck to pay the bills. Your job is about God placing you in a field, placing you in a group of people that you can do the best you can with the ability that God has given to you so that you can point people to Jesus. You, you can be a blessing for those around you. You can, you can create, invent things if you're an engineer. You can save people as a doctor. Ultimately, point them that we have a God who created all these things, and I am a part of his creation to bring goodness into your life. This is why in John 15, as we've been walking through John 15, one of the foundational, essential quality of who we are, identity of who we are, are is a producer. Disciple of Christ, remember, is Jesus said, I'm the true vine, the Father's vine dresser. We as disciples of Christ are what we are, the branches. And now look at this picture that Jesus painted for us in verse 16. He says, says, I chose you, you did not choose me. That's a consumer mindset. I choose God, that's how we think. But instead, a producer mindset said, God chose me. Jesus saying, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Look at what it says. Jesus, I appointed you to go and produce fruit, that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. See, that's what we are. Disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what we are. We are producer of fruit, fruit, eternal fruit, fruit that will last. I love the, the Amplified Version. It says that we are appointed and it built on it, we're placed, and it says we're purposefully planted. A branch does not just tick, 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 tick from the vine. The goal of the branch is to produce fruit. This is the picture that Jesus is calling us, reminding us as followers of Jesus Christ. You are the branches, you are not just getting resources for me and just get kind of build up this big, gigantic, thick branch. The result of your life is meant to bear fruit. It's meant to produce fruit. And part of producing fruit is to advance the kingdom of God. So then we need to ask the question, what does it mean for me to be a producer? What does it mean for me to be a producer for the kingdom of God? And here's the mantra that I want to give us this week for our journey, for moving from being 
from, from being a, a uh, consumer into become a producer. Here's the mantra. Here's the point I want us to look at. Life is best lived by giving it away. Life is best lived by giving it away. By giving it all away. This is why Jesus said his most famous saying, by the way, which is not in the gospel. It's actually the book of Acts. He says this, it is better to give than to receive. He said, this is better, is better to give than to receive. Jesus himself left heaven for, to come to earth to give his life as a ransom for many. The most well-known verse in all of the Bible, John 3, 16, God loved us so much that what did he do? He gave. The best way for us to live out the lives that have been given to us as Christians, as disciples of Christ, is by giving away. Giving it all away. The kingdom of God is about giving, not hoarding. The way of the heaven it's about leveraging, giving it away all our time, uh, time, treasure, and talent. Giving it away to others. Which Jesus called us. Perhaps one of the hardest teachings that we tend to avoid when we think of salvation in the gospel. From Luke chapter 9. Jesus says this. He said to them all. All who wants to follow Jesus. He says, if anyone would come after me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever saves his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? See, Jesus shows us the way to best live our lives is not by just saving it in this world. Jesus says the best way to live your life, the best way to find purpose in your life, the best way to find significance in your life, the best way to use your life to really live life than more than just maintaining life. He said you are to lose it, give it away. But here's the thing that the world tells us is the, uh, the opposite thing. The world tells us you find life by accumulating pleasure, possessions, prestige, and power. The world says you find significance from having sex, successes, salary, status. The world tells us if you want life, get stuff for yourself. But the way of the kingdom is the exact opposite of that. Jesus said you want to live a fulfilled life, give it all away. Give it all away. See, the reason why we can give it all away is not because we have a lot to give. See, the things in this world is not, is temporary, is not enough for it. It is like giving a, 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 a stack of crackers, saltine crackers to a marathon runner. After he ran for 26.4 miles, he said, hey, you must be hungry. Let's eat. I, I want to give you a, a stack of saltine crackers. Yes, I'm sure he's hungry, but that doesn't really hit the spot because most likely he actually wants water. Then he wants saltine crackers. I think for many of us, myself included, I'm going to raise my hand first and foremost about this. We often forget the better that we already have in the kingdom of God. Instead, we lust after the less that we don't have in this world. Let me say that again. We as disciples of Jesus Christ so often, I am so often forgotten the better that I already have 
in the kingdom of God. The eternal life, the presence of God, the power of God in my life, the promise that I have a better future. I often forgotten about the better that I already have in the kingdom of God. And what we ended up doing is we start lusting after the, the, the lesser things that I actually don't have in this world. Around this season, of, uh, this season uh, in a year, I often think of uh, the shoe boxes that we make that our church uh, almost every year participate in through Samaritan's Purse. Uh, Operation Crystal's Child would put these shoe boxes together. And every year, we didn't have a chance to do it this year because we're not gathering together. Uh, you can still do it, and you can still continue to send them in, by the way. But, um, but what we normally do with our children ministry is we tend to buy all the gifts uh, from a warehouse, and then we lay them uh, on, the, on the table in the room, and we give the kids a shoe, bo- shoe box, and they'll go and pick out toys for the person that they want to donate the toys to. And the funniest things happen every single year. Inevitably, some kid will bring the box and go pick up the toys and look around the toys and say, man, I wish my parents would buy me these toys. Man, my parents would never get me these toys. But you got to realize the toys that we buy are cheap toys. Like you can probably pick them up from 99 cent store. We can buy, I mean, we're not buying like used toys or anything, but they're really, really low quality toys. But we buy them in masks. And so what happened is these kids would come in and say, oh man, my parents, I, man, I want that toy. My parents never get me that paper toy. But just half an hour before we started Awana or KFC, you know what they just said? Man, I'm tired of playing my Wii. I'm tired of playing my Switch. Man, I have five game system. They're all boring now. You see, so, so e- it is so easy for us to focus the lesser things that we have in front of us. It's like, man, I wish that not, to have that 99 cents dollar toy when I have a greater toy at home, a greater game system at home. I've forgotten about it and lust after the smaller things, the cheaper thing, the lesser thing. And what happened is when we've forgotten about the kingdom that we're a part of, then we start hoarding, lusting, grabbing the lesser things. And we don't want to give it away. We don't want to pass it out. We don't want to share with other people because I want it because it can fulfill me. But in reality, I have something far greater sitting in my heart today. So much greater than what I'm looking at in this world. And Jesus is calling you and I. The best way to live your life is to remember the kingdom life that you already have and leverage the temporary, temporary worldly things that God has blessed you with and use it for other people. So what does it mean for us to practically do that? What does it mean for us to give our lives away? I believe the word that best summed that up. The action that best sum of how we could give life away is simply this. is for us to serve. To serve others. The action that God has called you and I to do to be kingdom citizen, to be disciple of Jesus Christ, is to serve others. Serve the Christians around you. Serve the non-Christians around you. Serve the poor who are in need. Serve the rich who are also in need. Serve those who are disenfranchised in this world. Serve those who are privileged because they have issues as well. Serve those who are white. Serve those who are black. Serve those who are Asian. Serve those who have needs around us. Love your neighbors as yourself. 
It is no surprise that why Jesus came on earth is not only to, to die on a cross for us. He demonstrates for what does it mean to be a true servant. Mark 10, 45, he did not come to be served, but to serve. We're talking about our king. He came not to be served, but to serve you and I. Die on the, as, a, as a criminal on the cross. John 15 reminds us again, Jesus' own word says that the servant is not greater than the master. Now, our master died on the cross by literally giving his life away. And if we are his servants, I mean, the best we can do is to follow exactly what he has called us to do, to serve those around us. I want to give us three practical ways how we can serve those around us. Here's the first one. We need to first think of ourselves less. If you want to serve others, you want to serve those who are the least among us, you want to serve the community, you want to serve your family, you want to serve the lost, think, le- think of ourselves less. It was C.S. Lewis who famously said that humility is not think less of yourself, but really think of yourself less. We're not thinking less of ourselves because we're lower, but we need to get out of the way so that we can actually see people's needs. Narcissus, the, the, uh, the character in, in the Greek, myth, Greek mythology, was so in love with himself. When he looked at the pool of water, all he saw was the reflection of how handsome he was. And let's be honest, many times we do the exact same thing. We're looking into life, and all we see is just a reflection of ourselves. We see nothing in the water. We see nothing in the world. We see no, uh, uh, we cannot see the needs of those around us because all we see is just ourselves. We need to get out of the way, particularly in this COVID season. Let's be honest, it is so easy for us to fall into the trap of spiritual narcissism. We can ask the question why can't we get together at church? Why do we have to do a church online? It's so hard to follow, it's so inconvenient. I'm not used to being online. Why do we have to Zoom all the time? We can ask the question, why, 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 why? And then the result, the answer to that oftentimes is we lead ourselves to self-preservation, to self-concern, to self-pity. But what if? But what if we step aside, we take, get out ourselves out of the way and we start asking the question, instead of why, what we cannot do, what would we ask God? What would happen if we ask God and say, God, what can be done in this season? What if we ask God instead of seeing this as a barrier to serve others? What, what, what if we ask God, help me to see this as an opportunity to serve others? What if instead of complaining that the online church is not very engaging, is unnatural, what if we start seeing online church as a way for us to be invitational machine? That people who will never step into this church physically, no matter how many times you invite them, now perhaps in their own comfort at home that you send them a link, whether our worship service or any other worship service or a Christian testimony, that they're willing to click on it and listen to it. What if this is not a barrier, instead this is an opportunity to close the gap for people to hear the word of God, the good news of Jesus. What if we stop saying, man, I hate the, ch- uh, uh, I hate, I hate the fact that we cannot get together and see one another. What if instead we ask God, help me to see my neighbors who live next to me? 
What if we see an opportunity now because we don't have a wana that you actually step out on your neighborhood and go to the kids next door and get to know them. Walk the street around your neighborhood and pray for the houses around you. What if instead of saying that I'm bored, I got nothing else to do. No one is reaching out to me. What if we get ourselves out of the picture and say, I'm sure there are people who feel exactly like the way I do. That they're feeling lonely. They're not being reached out. What if you said, start asking God, say, God, help me to go text those people. Help me go bake a cake and go bring it to them. If you're a good baker, if you're not, don't do that, okay? Uh, buy a cake or something. What if, what if you, you just drive by and just say hello to them on the outside? What if you pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, I just want to check in and see how you're doing? What if we see this as opportunity because we no longer see ourselves square in the picture? We get that out of the way, so now we see the needs of others. And then all of a sudden, we start making ourselves available to serve them, which is the second point. We need to get, think, think of ourselves less. The second one is as we see the need of others, are we making ourselves available to serve them? I mean, let's be honest, none of us would just say, I'm not available to serve them. I think we will all like to think that we're pretty good servant, that I have time to serve people. But the reality is this. We like to put scheduled boxes in our calendar. These are the time that I would like to serve people. I'll serve people at 3 to 5 on Monday every week. We often just put what is, what is convenient for us to serve those who are in need. Nothing wrong with scheduling things. We, our worship team scheduled every week to come and record a service. Uh, we have monthly sack lunches that we put together. Those are great opportunities. But what I realize in a lot of times in my own life is I tend to put boxes around my life and say, these are the only time, the only options that I have to meet the needs of others. But as I find out, and probably you do as well, other people's needs are seldom timely and on schedule. They are seldom timely or on schedule. Jesus did not just have, happen to have an extra day. He said, I have a free day today. Let's walk through Samaria. I'll meet that Samaritan woman. I will save her and I will go to her village. I have a few days spare. I'll just do that. See, the woman who was bleeding for 12 years touched the cloak of the edge of Jesus' uh, jacket. Jesus did not just stop him and say, hey, lady, wash your hands. It's a little crowded here. It is not optimal uh, situation for me to heal you. you. You were bleeding for 12 years. Wait another 12 hours. I'll come back tomorrow in your house. I'll heal you. See, people's needs are rarely on time, fit tightly scheduled into our schedule, neatly in our schedule. But here's the challenge for us. Are we available to the divine interruption that God has placed in your life and my life. Are you willing to pause that me time that you have because a brother has called you, because a brother needed help? Are you willing to go to bed a little early on Saturday night and wake up on time on Sunday to show up on your Zoom worship, on your small group, whatever group that you're part of, because there are actually people in that group wondering if it even matters for me to show up because he or she is struggling to show up. But your presence can actually make a difference for them. 
Are you willing to spend less of your hard-earned money to buy one less pair of shoes, one fewer gadget, but give that money to those who are in desperate need, who have lost a job in this COVID season. Those who have nothing to feed their kids. The least that Jesus said, the least among us that have no water to drink. Are we willing to be available in the expense of our free time, in expense of our money, in expense of our scheduled time to meet the needs of those around us? Are we available to do that? And here's the last one I want to share with us. Part of the practical way for us to serve is to be good steward of God's gifts in your life. To be good steward of God's gifts in your life. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 to 11. Carrie read that for us earlier. It says this, as each, each believer has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know who is a servant? A servant does not own anything. A servant is a steward. A steward has been given things. And the job of a steward is use what was given to leverage it for the good of the master. Faithfulness what was being given to him or her to use it to honor the master. That's the job of a steward. Your time, your talent, and your treasure, whatever you hold dear to your life, those are gifts. I love how Peter said is grace. Grace that God had poured into your life. They are of God. Whatever you speak, oracles, amazing things, they're of God. They're God's. Whatever you serve, the strength that you have, the mental, the, the mental strength, the emotional strength, physical strength, they are supplied by God. And there are only two ways to use the gifts that's been given to us. One is to serve others. It's for the benefit, the blessing of other people. You are meant to use your time, talent, and treasure to give it away so that others around you, others to the ends of the earth will be blessed. But not only to others, to serve others. Others need to be benefited from that. But ultimately, he says this at the end. I love how Peter wraps it all around for us. He says the reason why we give it away, the reason why we serve those around us, ultimately, it is in everything God may be glorified. God may be glorified through Jesus. That is what the kingdom is about in the first place, to bring glory to God. The best way for us to live our life is to give it away. The best way to give it away is to serve the needs of those around us, not just out of excess of what we have, but with all that we have, serve one another. That's what it means for us to do. Let me give us a warning, though. 
I think for many of us, when we think of serving others, we tend to do this thing that, that we look into our own inventory of gifts and time and treasure and talents. We'll look at what I can offer and ask, oh, I can only offer this, so now I will only serve this segment of people. In my judgment, one of the, one of the, the most dangerous things about spiritual gifts testing is that we tend to find out what we're good at, what we think we're good at, God has given to us. And then because of that, we limit the way we serve others. I'm not good at teaching, so I'm not going to share the word with God with other people. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't need to go evangelize. I don't give, have the gift of hospitality. I don't need to be nice to people. Let the person who has the gift of hospitality do that. See, what the spiritual gifts are meant for is to serve one another. These spiritual gifts are different from your natural talent. They're given by God. As we have read from 1 Peter 4, they're given by God. I want to challenge you. Focus, don't, don't focus on what gifts you get. Focus on serving others. And what happened is, what you see is that when you start getting a burden to serve others who are in need, you ask God to give you gifts so that you can serve that need. I was just listening to a testimony by a guy named Jim Yost. He's a missionary for 30 years in some remote village in Papua New Guinea. He certainly did not have the gift of healing, but he's been serving in that village for a long time. What happened is he saw someone who was dying literally before them, and he, he sensed the demonic, uh, demonic um, uh, forces going on, and it was a, a moment that he wanted to see God being glorified in the village. They, he, he sensed that people needed to see the power of God displayed. So while he had no gift of healing and no gift of, of miracles, he simply just prayed and said, God, give me the power to, to pray a prayer of healing upon this person who is dying. And guess what happened? That person was healed and was delivered. As a result, that village got to see tangibly the power of God. You see, what if he said, I don't have the gift of healing, and he just said, well, I'm not going to pray for this person anymore because I don't have the gift of healing. See, don't focus on what you have. Focus on meeting the needs of others and ask God to come and give you the gifts that will meet the, the need at the, at the moment. I'm going to embarrass Kevin a little bit here. I remember before, before Kevin was a, was a Christian, you know, he, 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 told, he told me that he, he learned a little bit of musical instrument, but he was not at all great at musical instruments. But one of the coolest things I saw as he came to know Jesus was he started having a burden to serve God. And because of that, he grew in his love for music. And then before I knew it, he started playing guitar. Before I knew it, he started picking up drums. And I asked him, where do you learn? He just said, I just watch YouTube. And then he just become efficient and proficient in playing music. And now he's one of our worship leaders. Not, I believe not because he is able, but because he sees a need that he can meet uh, for, for, the, for the church of Jesus Christ. He wants to be a display of God's power in the world. And he asked God to give him the strength and the power and the talent to meet that need. My wife is exact, another example of that. If you ask her, playing piano was one of the least favorite things to do. But God gave her this miraculous gift of being able to just play by ear. She could listen to a song and just be able to play. And I often, people often ask her, how did you do that? And if you ask her, her answer will always be because God has given me this gift. Not because she was good when she was young, listening, uh, practicing a lot of piano. But simply because she's available to God and God gave her the gift. And so my challenge for us is this. 
You and I have been saved in the kingdom of God. We're saved for the advancement of God's kingdom in this world. The question we need to ask is, is this. How are we leveraging our lives to serve those around us? There are no shortage of needs. Both felt needs and real spiritual needs around us. And there's certainly no shortage of believers in this world. But so often we stay living as a consumer instead of living out as a producer of the fruit of the Spirit of God and make ourselves available to serve those who are in need and point them to Jesus.